0: Welcome back to The Blackout. We're here for a Week 10 ATS Pick'em Pod, as always, coming to you from BellyUpSports.com. He is Alan Denton. I am Thomas Black, here recording on Halloween night with only five weeks left in the regular season. Alan, it's amazing to think that we have now reached the final third of the regular season. How are you doing tonight on a
1: spooky night with a lot of college football to discuss and a lot of things going down in the pick'ems? I'm doing really well, bro. And I think I just saw Connor Stallions leave my bathroom. (laughs) So he was trying to steal some trick-or-treats and all that kind of stuff. It's a weird, weird time to be alive. (laughs) Well, you find him in your bathroom you
0: talked about kind of replacing him and working with the Michigan program recently. So if you do some stalking of other college football programs and that kind of thing, we understand it. There's extra eyeballs and extra pieces of data and recordings that need to be done for all the good folks looking to gain an edge out there
1: around the country. That's exactly right. He knows just by our signs, whether we're going to go number one or number two. Very, very much so. And Now, as we look
0: at the leaderboard in the ATS, let's look at the top of the leaderboard, just like we always do. We've got William in first place, as he has been for a little while now, with 56 wins on the season. He's leading the way for $175. He's winning at 62% on the season. Incredible work there by William. In second place, we have another William who has 52 wins on the season and is leading the way for $75. And in third place is Ted with 51 wins in third place based off Tiebreaker. And he leads the pack for $25. Of course, blackout t-shirts for everybody as well. And anybody who has won previously gets the opportunity to either receive another blackout t-shirt or they can convert that into equivalent cash as well. So, Alan, exciting things going on at the top of the leaderboard a very good precedent set for the first nine weeks of the season. And now as we work our way into the final five, everybody who's kind of near the top, especially if you're in the top 10, you certainly still have a chance. But especially to chase down the top spot, an awful lot of good work needs to be done here in the last stretch of the season because it's going to be these coming weeks, two, three weeks or so, where you're really going to figure out if you have a legit shot at the top spot or whether
1: you're just working for second or third place as we go on. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm looking at. Second and third place are wide open. William at the top is just so far ahead of everybody. He's done an absolutely remarkable job. Yeah, and you said second and third are wide open. I completely agree with that. And right
0: now it looks as if there's a nice cushion there for William at the top, but if he has a rough week or two, then all of a sudden that lead can drop completely and he could fall into one of those second or third places. So he's in a tremendous spot as far as, I think, having tremendous odds to finish in the top three, but it'll take another couple of weeks for him to really solidify looking great for that top spot. While he does look very good for
1: it right now, we'll see if that holds up over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, if you're asking, would you take him or the field at this point? I'm taking him. But there are definitely some things that can shake loose. And this is kind of a weird week. I think it's going to be pretty difficult. I think five and five, six and four this week is going to be a really good week. Yeah, I
0: tend to think that's going to be similar in my mind. I think we're going to have a number of these spots where you see a lot of people on one side and I don't always think that's going to be totally advisable and I think we could see kind of like we did this past week. If you get above 500, that could be a very very good week whereas some cases getting above 500, you might still be losing a good bit of ground to some people. So, we'll look at it, we'll figure it out and we'll see if that holds up. But this past week, like I'm talking about, there was very much the situation that if you were able to get above five hundred, it was a very, very good week. So Alan, that is exactly what you did. You went six and four. You're now up to fourteenth in the standings from sixteenth a week ago. You're forty seven and forty two overall against the spread, and it's been A work in progress, but you have been moving the right direction. So how are you feeling coming off of week nine? And as we look ahead to everything before us going into the final third of the season, what are you thinking about looking back at your locks this past week? Anything else that stands
1: out and your approach as we work toward the back end of the season? Yeah, well, you know, I've just continued to rise up the board. As you kind of mentioned, this has been a slow process, but I feel like I've kind of hit a stride where for the most part I've put together All except for one week, you know, almost the last six or seven have been winning record weeks. So I've really had one stinker of a week thrown in there. Other than that, I'll take everything that I've done, just continue to move up. And my sights are set on second and third. At this point, being nine back, some crazy magic stuff would have to happen. But second and third, that's what I want. I think that's
0: very understandable. What are your thoughts on the slate you looked at a week ago with your locks and anything else that really
1: made a difference for you in getting that winning record? And looking back at it, obviously, our lock party got broken pretty hard (laughs) because Ohio just did not play well after the first quarter. They were up nine to nothing. Then it was nine to three and nine to six. And then right before the half, it goes to 13 to nine to Miami, and they just couldn't stop the run at that point. Second half, Miami was just able to run the ball, and Ohio had nothing offensively for them. It was an odd, bizarre game after a pretty good start, in all honesty. So got that one way wrong. That was a bad lock. Troy, however, was a great lock. They looked to be the kind of team that is just a really high-quality group of five team. I ended up flipping Duke and Louisville when Riley Leonard said he was going to play. When that started leaking out, I had Louisville both in the confidence and on this side. And I felt like ultimately that Riley Leonard would make a pretty big difference. And I wasn't sold on Louisville. Now I am. They came back with a vengeance after their loss against, I believe it was Pittsburgh, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, Of course, my Vols cover had Arizona. It would have been a great week, but Fresno State barely did not cover, (laughs) barely, by a point and a half. So, yeah, 6-4, and I'll take it, and uh, that's ultimately what you went to. Yeah, I have a very much similar
0: pattern of thinking when it comes to my picks and looking at what I did on the leaderboard. When I go six and four in the week that we had, when you have very few people hitting seven wins a week ago, I'm perfectly happy going six and four. Now, I would have loved to join the group that had seven wins, but I am perfectly happy with a lot of the picks I made, of course, how the picks fell as well. I fell to 12th place from 11th last week, but that was more of a matter of me failing to put in a tiebreaker score than anything else. I was in a big chunk of people Tied with 48 wins, and I happen to finish at the back end of them. So it now puts me in a spot where I have a little bit of work to do, but really I think I'm in a better standing than I was a week ago, even though I'm a spot lower in the standings. Really just a brain fart there that left me at the back of the pack based off tiebreakers for that grouping of people. But I am 48 and 42 against the spread on the season, and my locks. Went as follows. Of course, Alan already documented we lost our lock party with Ohio, minus six and a half points. That now sticks us at two and two in lock parties on the season. So, certainly not where we'd like to be, but it's better than we did a year ago during the regular season where we went a horrendous 0 and four in lock parties. We're two and two so far this year. We're seven and seven overall. Of course, we are wanting to make that trend go up, but we've hit seven of our last 10. So, we're still overall doing pretty well in recent history on these things, even though we've missed the last two now. And then on the winning side, I took Oregon minus six and a half points at Utah, and that one was clear and away the right side after about the first six possessions of the game. Oregon goes on to win 35 to six, absolute dominant fashion. So the Ducks backed me up on that one That was tremendous. And then over on the confidence pick and pod a week ago, I handed out a lot of loss insurance. I talked about Boise State, lowering them in value down to about a middle range pick on my board versus Wyoming. Now, Boise State was way better than Wyoming, and I thought that could have been true, but I was a little nervous about that game, and I think for justifiable reasons. But if you took any of that advice, you might have ended up on Wyoming plus four and a half points like I did. Now, that would have turned into a losing pick, but I also handed out loss insurance for Oregon State. I dropped them down to the very bottom of my confidence pick and board at a value of one. That should have been a clear sign that I was on Arizona plus 3.5 points, even though it wasn't a lock last week. I did hand out a confidence value pick thinking that that – Upset was in play, and that came out clearly in my favor. So you could almost say that my confidence value picks would have led you to a one in one record against the spread, just like I did with my picks on the ATS Pickem Pod. And then when you look at what Allen did when he's giving you Troy minus five and a half, we both had the same loss with Ohio minus six and a half points, giving that out on the show. Then we only count one of those as a loss, of course, because that's not doubled up for anybody that took the advice. And when you look at the picks we gave out on the ATS Pick'em Pod a week ago, that means we led people to a two-in-one record. You dump in My Confidence Value picks with a one-in-one mark. Really, Alan, I look at that as a 3 and 2 mark we led people to with our picks that we handed out on the show. And again, that's a winning mark. And when you get to 3 and 2 that's 60% out of five games. And again, when you got to 6 and 4 or 7 and 3 you're right there at the top of the group from a week ago that's a great spot to be in so even though we didn't excel with the picks we gave out I think we gave out plenty of good enough information to be able to set people up for a successful week against the
1: spread yeah very much so you and I both I feel like have really gotten our sea legs now in this competition which is fun I love that both of us are above 500 for the year we're in a good spot now. Yeah,
0: I think we really are in a good spot. And that could all come crashing back down to earth as we enter into a new week. But but really, I think we've had very few plays this season that have been way, way off. You mentioned this week that it was Ohio versus Miami of Ohio. That one was pretty far off from what we expected, but even with the start of the game, I think there was a good rationale that we had, but we just clearly didn't see Avion Smith and Miami of Ohio playing the way they did. They happened to do it, so a bad read by us, but I do think we've had very few bad reads in a lot of these games, even in a lot of our losses. I think we've had good reads of games. They've just kind of flipped the other way, and I think a lot of our picks going above. 500 is indicative of the fact that we've been on top of our stuff this season. When you look at Zane Chapelier, he went five and five a week ago. He's in 18th place. He was in the same spot a week before. He's now 46 and 44 against the spread on the season. And he did hand out a loss with Wyoming plus four and a half points, but there were a lot of people on that side in our Pick'em group. I think that one was pretty balanced both ways. So I cannot blame anybody for thinking that Wyoming could have covered the spread there, but obviously Boise State was clear in a way the better team in that matchup. And then a little bit of a pick back and forth that Zane offered up. He gave a pick dependent upon Riley Leonard's status in the Duke-Louisville game. He said if Riley Leonard's out, take Louisville minus four and a half points. If Riley Leonard plays, take Duke plus four and a half points. Now, Riley Leonard did play, and siding with Duke was not the right side, but I looked back at Zane's picks just to make sure I got everything documented right, and he actually had Louisville minus the four and a half points. So I don't know exactly where his lock landed, and what kind of advice was taken by the readers that get our email each week at the team captain level, but certainly a injury piece of news that was being paid attention to closely by Zane and one that we would certainly encourage you to have knowledge about as you're looking at these games. It's something that really can dictate the way you feel about some of these matchups and some of the people who just play the contest but go in blindly not paying attention to injury news. It can be very costly, Alan. Yeah.
1: It very much can. It was very clear, Riley, in playing that game, he was not anywhere close to 100%. And I would have loved to have seen what they could have done with their backup quarterback, who they had success against NC State before the bye week, and it just didn't work out.
0: Yeah, I think that's completely fair. And really, that was my rationale for taking Louisville minus the points in this game. Because I thought a lot through last week about potentially taking Duke plus the points. But I remembered Riley Leonard playing against Florida State. I remembered that he re-injured his ankle again in the middle of that game. So I thought, man, he's either not going to play or he's going to be in a similar fashion where he's just kind of nicked up, banged up, and he's going to have limited mobility And while he's still a developing quarterback, I think the real strength of his game is his legs, not his arm, even though I don't think he's a bad passer. I just think that was a limiting factor for me And thinking, why would I side with Duke when Riley Leonard's still a question mark? And even if he does play, I thought he's not going to be close to 100%. So really, that was the reason I went with Louisville minus the points. Obviously, it paid off big time. Very much so. All right, Alan, if you're ready for it, why don't we go ahead and dive into some ATS locks here in week 10?
1: Let's do it, man.
0: All right. Because of tiebreakers last week, Alan did record a tiebreaker score in our contest in the ATS Pick'em a week ago. I already mentioned I did not. So Alan, you're gonna start us because of the tiebreaker with both of us going six and four in our week nine picks. You go ahead and take us away with your first ATS lock of
1: week 10. All right, my man. So going to the SEC for an ATS lock in what could be a very, very fun game. And Texas A&M traveling to the now tenth-ranked Ole Miss Rebels, going inside the top ten in the newly minted college football playoff rankings, and I think there's a lot of fascinating matchups with this one. Obviously, Ole Miss has been really phenomenal for most of the year. The only loss coming against Alabama, at Alabama, and even still, so they're seven and one, four and one in the conference. Texas A&M has lost at Miami, lost at home against Alabama and then at Tennessee. So they're 5 and 3. But I find this game fascinating for just so many different reasons. Ole Miss is clearly more explosive than Texas A&M is. However, A&M's defense is significantly better and this will be the best defense Ole Miss has played. Since that Alabama team held them to 10 and particularly they are really, really good against the run. The only team that's been able to run on them is Tennessee and Tennessee is a top five rushing team in the entire nation. I think because of the spread that was not currently is this spread was four and a half for home Miss at home. I am absolutely Absolutely not buying that Ole Miss is going to beat this AM team by that because Max Johnson has proven to be pretty doggone good and efficient with Anaya Smith and Evan Stewart and his brother as a tight end. This is a team that can hang with them offensively as well. I'm logging up the Aggies at plus four and a half, and I think a lot of people are with me on that because the line has moved significantly all the way down to Ole Miss at minus three.
0: I was hoping that as we looked at the college football slate for Week 10 that this matchup was going to be amongst our pick I tended to believe it was because I knew this spread was not going to be very big. And as you highlight some of the strengths and weaknesses of both of these teams, I've got only one thing I can determine about this game, Alan. We're just started. I know Now, the lock parties have not necessarily gone our way as of late. We are 0 for our last two but I've documented the run that Alan and I've been on. We've won seven of our last 10, and that's with a cold stretch as of late. So let's see if we can turn this thing around, Alan, because I'm looking at a lot of the same things you are. Ole Miss comes in with their top 10 college football ranking as of tonight. They only have the one loss, as you talked about. But I go back and look at a lot of these wins against, I think, what is mostly subpar competition. You look at the game against Tulane, where they won on the road. They struggled with the Green Wave for a long time a backup quarterback on the field. Go back to the game against Georgia Tech, where they gave up a bunch of yards in a 25-point win against Georgia Tech. Now, the Yellow Jackets have been decent, but that still alarms me just a little bit. Then when you go to the game at Alabama, Ole Miss was held to 300 yards of offense You go to the game against LSU, and you talked about significantly better defense on the side of the Aggies in this matchup. Highlight this game against LSU, where there were over 1,300 yards produced by both of these teams in a 55-49 win for Ole Miss. Then you look at games against Arkansas and Auburn more recently, both one-score games where Arkansas held Ole Miss to 349 yards, and Auburn, while I think they were outperformed in the game, did hang around for a good long time. This offense is balanced, but Lane Kiffin's squad likes to run the football. They get quarterback Jackson Dart involved. They like Quinshawn Judkins and Ulysses Bentley a lot in the backfield, but when they go up against a defensive line with the likes of Walter Nolan, Shamar Turner, McKinley Jackson, and linebacker Edren Cooper, who are stars. I do not like the possibility that Ole Miss just racks up a ton of rushing yards on this Texas A&M defense. We've seen this Aggie defense struggle before, but it's been against the pass, not as much the run as you documented, Alan. So I really like Texas A&M's defense against an Ole Miss offense that has been subdued multiple times this season, I think Texas A&M has the opportunity to do the same thing. And when you look at the offense with Max Johnson, the receivers you mentioned and Smith and Stewart, and some running backs who are decent but not great in Le'Veon Moss and Amari Daniels, I like the odds that Texas A&M finds opportunities to move the football and score against an Ole Miss defense that is not good. They're not terrible, but I do like the opportunity for Texas A&M to have a pretty good to a solid offensive day, and I think they can limit this Ole Miss Rebels offense. I think there's a chance that Texas A&M could win this thing outright, but I will I, I will absolutely love taking Texas
1: A&M plus the 4.5 points this week on the ATS Pick'Em. Uh, yeah, again, I feel like this is a pretty testy week. This is difficult. This was one that just kind of jumped out like, man, that line seems high. And just because AM has three losses, you got to look at the way that some of those things have happened. And I don't think that All Miss is as good as that top 10 ranking and seven and one looks.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and another thing that I'll highlight here is if Texas A&M has success slowing down the run, like I believe they will, then this Aggies defense really sets themselves up well. If they make this Ole Miss offense fairly one-dimensional and creating pressure on Jackson Dart to have success passing the ball, this Texas A&M defense ranks number one nationally in sacks, They've got 33 on the season. I already mentioned his name, but Edron Cooper has been a monster at linebacker. I look at that as a significant edge and a difference in this game that really stands out to me because this Ole Miss offense and what Lane Kiffin typically has, has been known to be a very, very good offense. And I think they're good this year, but I don't think they're great. So I think the best unit on the field is probably the Texas A&M defense. Even though they do have a severe weakness in the secondary, I just don't think Ole Miss is super well equipped to take advantage of that they're probably going to hit on some shots Lane Kiffin's probably going to scheme some guys open but I don't think it's going to happen often enough to where Texas A&M should be really worried about this game getting away from them so I very much do like the side that we're both on Alan I really hope we get back on the right side of some of these lock parties
1: (laughs) me too dude me too
0: (laughs) all right Alan where are you going for your second ATS lock of week 10
1: All right, I'm going with a team that I've picked against twice and have made me look silly twice. We're going to a group of five matchup and went one and one in my group of five matchups last week that I talked about on the podcast. But I'm going James Madison at Georgia State. For some reason, we've seen these teams an abundance of times. This is like between the two, we've picked them like eight different times this year which is pretty wild, but, you know, in looking at them, they're both formidable teams. James Madison is a a five-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Georgia State is very good offensively, averaging 415 yards. They're pretty balanced, which is something that overall has led to them being able to get to a 6-2 and mark, averaging 191 yards rushing and 224 through the air. When you look at James Madison, you look at a team that offensively is pretty explosive through the air. A lot of big passing plays with McLeod as their quarterback and able to run the ball even with him as a dual threat type of guy. But when you turn the page and start looking defensively, this is where James Madison is able to take advantage James Madison does not allow you to run the ball averaging less than 50 yards per game allowed and I think that's going to travel whereas Georgia State's defense allows over 400 yards per game. I think that James Madison goes on the road gets to 9 and0 not just beats them but covers so I'm locking up James Madison at minus five and a half. This reminds me of the Troy versus Texas state game last week that turned out to be right.
0: That is fair. And you look at a comp game that James Madison has already played earlier this year in a big win they had against Georgia Southern, a team that likes to throw the ball a lot. Now I think Georgia state runs the ball better than Georgia Southern does, but you already documented how well James Madison has played against the run this season. So, I believe I agree with you. I have James Madison selected minus five and a half points on my board right now. And the only reason I didn't really put it at the very top of my selections this week and think about it as a lock is because I do have a little bit of trepidation about a backdoor cover type of thing with Georgia State. I feel pretty dang confident that James Madison's going to win this game like you do. It's just when you have an explosive offense on the other side and one that James Madison has shown the ability to play well against so far this season, I think there's probably a pretty good chance that James Madison covers. But I wouldn't say that it's just one that they're going to win super, super easily or easily cover by, you know, winning by a couple of scores. That could happen, and I believe it's certainly an outcome that could come true. But when you have a Georgia State team that does have success on both the ground and the air, and you look at a James Madison defense that has been dominant against the run, but has been susceptible through the air, I think it is an opportunity that if Darren Granger and company put together a good game plan, if Granger protects the football, they could see some success through the air, and if they even do that successfully throughout 60 minutes, and if that's dependable for them, I think you could see the chance that Georgia State probably covers in this game. I don't think there's a lot of odds that they win this game outright, but with James Madison, they've been a dependable team. They've got to a good defense for the most part outside of maybe the defensive passing game and I do like this offense against the Georgia State Panthers team that does give up a lot of yards defensively and it's not a ton on the ground but James Madison is better through the air than they are on the ground anyway and that's really where Georgia State is susceptible so I like everything that you're saying I do believe I'm going to be on James Madison minus five and a half points I do just worry a little bit about a backdoor cover type situation let's say that James Madison is up by 10 points late and Georgia State puts up a late touchdown or something like that. But I do believe James Madison is probably good enough to win this game a good number of times out of 10. I don't feel like there is a huge threat for the
1: win, but I will very likely be on James Madison minus the points. I appreciate that. I'm glad you're with me with a little bit of trepidation, which I understand. But this is one that I felt pretty good about just because that line is under the touchdown. And I think for the most part, they'll probably be... 10 to 14 points ahead for most of the game. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're not looking at that crazy weird backdoor cover type situation, this one feels pretty safe.
0: Well, and the deal is if they get up by 14 and they're able to consistently hold that, then you should be feeling pretty safe with minus five and a half. So even a late touchdown, you know, gives you a seven point, Cushion there. So, I mean, I think there's odds that that could happen. I don't know how likely it is, but yeah, I tend to agree with you. And when I say I have a little bit of trepidation, it's not even that I feel very shaky about this pick. It's like this is one of the ones that I was considering for a lock. And I think I crossed it off kind of quickly when I was comparing some other matchups that I liked a little bit more. But this is certainly one that I was considering for a lock and definitely one of the more favorable plays I find this week when looking at the
1: board. Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. With my second ATS lock, I'm going to go to the Pac-12, where we have a team that we just had in the confidence pick'em, and I just gave a warning about pulling an upset a week ago. That's with the Arizona Wildcats facing off at home versus the UCLA Bruins, where we have Arizona as a a two-and-a-half-point underdog. Now, this Arizona team has been noteworthy of late. We talked about this last week on the podcast. They had a seven-point loss against Washington. They had a two-point triple overtime loss at Southern Cal, both teams that are far more talented than Arizona, and they put – um, a good bit of a scare, certainly into Southern Cal, not quite as much against Washington. But then they dominated Washington State, and then they pulled off the upset at home versus Oregon State this past week. And I've talked about them a good bit now. Noah Fafita, the freshman quarterback, has come in and done a tremendous job in the absence of Jaden Delora, who's been injured recently. They've got a couple of really talented wide receivers in Ted Aroa McMillan and Jacob Cowing. These guys are tremendous. They've got a decent running back and Jonah Coleman, who had success last week as well. Then you look over at UCLA, and Alan, I have some interesting thoughts on UCLA because it's been a couple of weeks since we've seen them in the pick 'em, but man, we grew used to them in a three week stretch where they lost at Utah 14 7. They won against Washington State 25 17 and they lost the next week at Oregon State, 36-24. to And man, I got a little disgruntled during this stretch because we had this team in the pick'em three times, and each of the three games, I was on the side with UCLA. And I came back out of this stretch with a 1-2 and record in the confidence pick'em, and certainly not a good record against the spread either. And I'll go as far to say that I had a smoky stench about my body that I could not shake for a couple of weeks. And it's because Dante Moore did nothing but hit the self-destruct button again and again, and the massive crater that he left in the ground with smoke billowing out everywhere got me all caught up in it. And I couldn't shake it for a bit. But Dante Moore, in those games, remember, he threw one pick against Utah. It was right at the beginning of the game, a pick six. Then he threw two picks against Washington State, one of those a pick six. And then three interceptions against Oregon State, one of those a pick six. Three straight games with a pick six. But – What Chip Kelly has done since then, he's disabled the self-destruct button. That's because he has benched Dante Moore, and instead he has put in veteran quarterback Ethan Garbers, who has done a tremendous job the last couple of weeks at Stanford and versus Colorado. Not great competition, but he's gone 40 of 55 for 509 yards, four touchdowns, and an interception. And when you look at the quarterback situation heading into this week, Chip Kelly has come out and said he is not naming a starting quarterback. So with the way that Garbers has played, I think there's probably a pretty good chance he plays this game on the road. Now, if... Chip Kelly comes back with Dante Moore to start this game. I'm going to feel a little bit more shaky about this, but Dante Moore, I think, is only getting the start if he plays tremendously well in practice. So I'm looking for this UCLA offense to have success against this Arizona defense, no matter who starts at quarterback, but I'm going to feel much better if it's Ethan Garbers, who's been playing the last couple of weeks. I think what you have between these quarterbacks is Dante Moore gives you a little bit more explosive factor, but he also gives you the ability to hit that detonate button on the self-destruction side of things. So, Alan, I'm going to side with a very good defense in UCLA, slowing down Noah Fafita and this Arizona offense, or Jaden Delora if he's coming back this week, and I'm going to look for UCLA to produce some things offensively to have success. I'm locking up the Bruins and siding with them once again. I think I've gotten that stench off of me. I'm taking the Bruins minus two and a half points this week in an ATS lock.
1: Interesting, interesting. I will be talking about this game on the other side in the next episode. However, I'm not gonna be with you on this one. (laughs) Just in looking at it in the way that Arizona has been playing just a significantly, significantly improved team. Just Jed Fish has done a masterful job. I think the past two weeks for UCLA at Stanford and Colorado have been against teams, quite frankly, that barely have defenses at all and are barely fielding defenses at all. Now, UCLA's defense is legit. But Arizona's not a team that needs to be able to run the ball all that efficiently to be able to move. Fafita has come in and done an incredible job if this were at UCLA, I would be with you. But unless something drastically changes, I'm going to be on the side of the Wildcats in this one.
0: I can't blame you. They've played great football, and I like Arizona. Please do not misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not telling this to you, Alan. I'm talking to the listener here. I do not dislike Arizona. I think they're a solid football team. I just think going up against the talent differential and what UCLA has and a more established program, I think this is where they meet their limits a little bit. I've been really impressed with this UCLA defense, one that I just talked about the nation's number one leader in sacks in Texas A&M just a few moments ago. UCLA ranks number three nationally in sacks with 31. Leatu Latu with eight and a half on the season. Darius Mua Sal with four sacks, another edge player with Grayson Murphy with three-and-a-half sacks. They've got a bunch of athletes on the defensive side of the ball. And like you said, I agree with you. I don't think Arizona has to run the ball to have success, and it's a good thing because I don't think they're going to have a lot of success on the ground against UCLA. But when Noah Fafita is facing pressure like I think he's going to see this week against an athletic defensive line and linebackers that can really get after the quarterback— And a guy that already took four sacks against Oregon State last week, I have some questions about what that's going to look like. And while I do believe that Arizona is a good football team, I wasn't blown away by their performance against Oregon State. Even though I very much thought they did a lot of the things that I thought they could do, I just think they're going to be more limited against UCLA. And I like this spot for the Bruins, especially
1: if Ethan Garbers is starting at quarterback again. Yeah, I mean, I get that. We'll see. (laughs) I think it's going to be fascinating. I think that Oregon State is better than UCLA, and their defense isn't quite as good, but I still think Arizona is going to be able to score the ball on this team, and I'm not sure that ultimately UCLA will be able to score with them.
0: I like it. I like it when we have a little bit of differentiation on the podcast. I think, especially this season, we have found a lot of the same angles on some of these games, and it's left mm-hmm. us not facing off against each other very often. And I'm okay with that. I like some of the agreement, especially when we hit on things like lock parties, which we haven't done recently, but I like some different perspectives here on the show, and I can't blame anybody for thinking that Arizona has the opportunity to pull off another upset in this one. Frankly, it's not even that big of an upset with UCLA only favored by two and a half points, but I think it's a very intriguing matchup and a fun one to go down inside the Pac-12. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one, man. All right, now Alan and I have another Pick'em Pod to record. That's of the confidence variety, and if you want to listen to that, all you need to do is become a walk-on supporter of the show at $2.50 a month over on Patreon. That's where you're going to get a confidence value play from Alan in this UCLA-Arizona game. That's where you're going to get some other picks that we're laying out over there, some differing picks some other angles on games that have not been talked about here in the ATS Pick'em Pod. So a lot to get there. And if you become a walk-on or hire on Patreon, we have a little saying that we give out that you win when we win. And that's the opportunity to take away a piece of the pot when either Alan wins a prize or I win a prize or Zane Chapelier wins a prize or when Lauren, Allen's wife, wins a prize, or when my wife, Kristen, wins a prize. And if you've checked out any of the standings over on the Confidence pick on Pod, you know that Kristen has edged her way up to the top of the leaderboard. So you get a chance to win when we win. You get a chance to win when you win. There's a lot of advantages that come with that. And another thing to talk about, Alan, is that you are going to take a step aside from the show next week just because of a busy schedule and Zane Chapelier is going to come in in your place. So if you want to continue getting Allen's picks then you should consider jumping on board with us on Patreon at the team captain level. That's only $5 a month where you're going to be able to listen to all those Extra Confidence pick and Pods. You're going to also be able to see our emailed picks going out between the three of us every single week. So there's a lot of value in all these things that we hand out, Alan. Can't wait for it. Looking forward to recording another episode with you and hopefully you'll have a restful week off at least
1: somewhat before coming back with us again in week 12. Absolutely. I hope... By the next time I'm on this podcast, I'm in the top 10 on both sides. That's my goal.
0: (laughs) I love it. An admirable goal. Alan, can't wait to record some more with you because I think we're going to have some fun stuff coming up on the next episode. Looking forward to it, sir. And can't wait to see what kind of value you place out on that UCLA Arizona game. Yeah, me too, man.